Um, all right, uh, open up your Bible to Psalm 84. But as we do that, I want you to put that donation QR code back up there. If we can scan them at a restaurant, we can scan them at church. Um, and so I'm, never, I'm rarely gonna tell you to get your phone out, but I want you to get your phone out and I want you to scan this, and I'm not telling you to make a donation. I'm, I, I think you should, uh, but I'm not telling you that you must, but I want you to scan it that way you have it, and then just pray about it and consider what the Lord would do. We get to partner with missionaries when we do this. Brandon is too kind and too humble to just say, hey, you can also partner with this by giving. It takes money to work on the field, and it takes money to be in East Asia for 16 years, and uh, I want us to just prayerfully consider that. So I'm seeing a lot of people not get their phones out, but I'm asking you get your phones out right now and scan this and if you don't do it now stop by the table on your way out and grab that information from them because I think it's important that we consider what it looks like if one of our aspirational values is to be radically generous as a church family I think the Lord presents opportunities for us to do that and this is one of those today so I would love for you to prayerfully consider that we have been this summer looking at prayer prayer through the Lord's prayer and also prayer in the Psalms and I have been meditating over the course of the summer on Psalm 84 uh, this is in part because of an album that came out an album from Caroline Cobb uh, where she kind of uh, takes the Psalms and she sets them to music and there was a rendition of Psalm 84 that was on an album she recently released and I loved it so much that it did what it's supposed to do, which is it sent me away from the song and back into God's word and I, I haven't been able to shake it off. She paraphrases a portion of Psalm 84 and she sings it this way, I don't want what this world could offer, I want the living God. And I gotta tell you, I was driving uh, Lydia and I had just left daddy-daughter day. We were driving away from First Watch off Campbell. It was a Friday morning, and I was playing it, and we had liked the first song, but we were moving on to the next song, and she's in the back seat, and when that line hit, it struck so deep into the corner of my heart that I just started to cry as I was driving back from First Watch. Because I knew immediately when I heard it, it confronted the fact that I so often settle for the reverse, I settle not for the living God, but I settle for what this world could offer. And as quick as I got back in that morning from daddy-daughter date, I could not get to Psalm 84 fast enough because I knew that the Lord was beckoning me, inviting me in to be confronted by his word. And there are times when the Lord invites us to his word because there's a place of encouragement and the Lord is gonna use his word to encourage or to comfort. There are other times where the voice of the Lord is going to call you to a passage and you're gonna say, this isn't very comforting and the Lord's gonna say, exactly. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a confrontation. And Psalm 84 is both a comfort and a confrontation because the psalmist has one big idea. The presence of the living God is better than anything else. The presence of the living God is better than anything else. And I want us to just hear it and to receive it, and I want us to consider, is it possible that we have grown dull in our desires because we have become content with what the world can offer? Have we become dull in our desires, sleepwalkers in this world because we have become content with the world can offer? Psalm 84 says this, I'm gonna read it, and then after I read it, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. 
you're invited to respond with thanks be to God. The reason we do that isn't just because it's a cold ritual or something that we have to do, but because we want to give thanks that God hasn't left us in silence. He's spoken to us. So let me read beginning in Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The presence of God is the treasure that we seek. It is. If you think that Christianity, the Christian faith, has anything better to offer you than God, you've missed it. God is the gift. God is the delight. God is the treasure. For all of the Christian faith and what it provides, the story of Scripture is clear on this matter from beginning to end. God is the goal. God is the gift. God is the treasure. Him and Him alone. If you come to God looking for any of God's good gifts, he is gracious beyond measure. And he delights in giving good gifts. And he has a tendency and a proclivity to give many good gifts even to those of us who end up settling for his gifts and ignoring who he is. He is gracious beyond what we can capture in words. And yet, God is telling us from the beginning of the story to the end, the best thing you can get from God is God. The best thing that God has for you is not somewhere far away from God. It's not some gift that God can give to you. It is the very presence of God himself. That's the best thing. There is nothing better than the presence of the living God. And the psalmist is singing a prayer to tell us that. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, it, it faints for your glory. It desires your presence. It desires to be with you, to be in your presence, to live in it, to exist within it. Now, when you think about the presence that the psalmist is talking about, this is not the general presence of God. 
And it's important that we make this distinction. God is omnipresent. There is nowhere that God is not. You can go to the depths of the sea. You can go to the heights of the mountains and the presence of God will be there. God has created all things and he is present throughout his creation because he is God. He is not confined to space or time. But the presence the psalmist is talking about is not the general presence of the omnipresent God. He is talking about the blessed presence of God's grace. He's talking about the delighting presence, the presence that satisfies, not merely the presence that makes us aware. You know, you can stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you can say to yourself, it is clear that there is a God and I am not him. But it is a jump from there to say, this God is glorious and I have to know him. And he's better than what I can see in the depths of the Grand Canyon. His majesty is beyond what I can see in the starry skies. His delight is greater than what I could have with the sweetest food. It is a jump to move from I believe there is a God to I'm glad that he is who he is. And this is the jump the psalmist is inviting us into. Not the vague awareness of the presence of God looking at creation and saying, there must be somebody up there, but to know who this somebody is and to move towards them in delighting worship. The psalmist is saying, how lovely is your dwelling place. My heart and flesh, it sings for joy to the living God. The psalmist says, even creation knows that this is good, that the presence of God is best, that the sparrow and the swallow, they nest in the presence of God. That the pilgrim journeys with the presence of God as their destination. Now, when the psalmist is writing this, there was a very clear place that was attached to the worship and the fellowship of the presence of God. It was the temple. It was the temple. It was a place where there was a place where you could come and worship God, the tabernacle before it and the temple after it. There was a place where pilgrims would journey so that they could get to the very presence of God so that they could meet in his presence and worship in his presence. And so there's no doubt that the psalmist is thinking about birds nesting in the rafters around the tabernacle or the temple, this physical place that represented a spiritual reality. And he's saying that even the pilgrims on their journey to the temple, on their journey to the tabernacle, on their place of worship, that as they journeyed from around the region, that they would go and they would go with the presence of God as the motivation and the purpose of their goal, of their destination, of their journey. This adventure that they were on had the presence of God as its end, as its destination. And the psalmist is saying their strength The strength for the journey is that we are headed to Zion. We are headed to the mount of the Lord. We are headed to the presence of God. The thing that sustains them on their pilgrim passage is the presence of God before them. The hope that they will be able to taste and see that the Lord is good, that they may be able to fellowship and delight in his presence The psalmist says, as they go through the valley of Baca. Now you're thinking, I don't know the valley of Baca. They would have. The valley of Baca, not a lush place. 
Not a place of verdant greens and brilliant flowers. It was a place of despair. It was a place of desolation. It was a dry and arid place. And yet what does the presence of God produce in them and around them? It produces wells of water, springs, early rain that covers it with pools. The psalmist is saying, when you're in the valley of Baca, and he's not even talking just spiritually or metaphorically, when you're there, the presence of God is the thing that makes even the dry places become fruitful with the goodness of God. He moves on from there and he says what? A day in the courts of God is better than one day elsewhere, than a thousand elsewhere. Is he saying that one day in God's presence is equal to a thousand days somewhere else? No. He's not giving you a formula for fellowship with God. He's using a thousand to mean there is no better place than the presence of God. And he puts this in contrast with what? The tents of wickedness. The tents of wickedness. Basically, he's saying, I would rather be a janitor in the presence of God than a prince in the castle of wickedness. I would rather be a janitor in the presence of God than a prince in the castle of wickedness. There is, a, there is more than a whisper in Psalm 84. There is a shout. And the shout is, the presence of God is better. Now at this time and in this age in the history of redemption, to enter in the presence of God was a very different thing. It was at this moment in the history of God's people uniquely situated in a actual physical space that you had to journey to yearly, monthly, however often you would go, but you had to go there to get it. But that is not how it is any longer because the presence of God was never confined to space and time. It was not constrained by the temple even though it was there for a moment and in a season. In John 1, 1 through 18, we hear that the Son of God enters in in the incarnation and he tabernacles among us. He brings the presence of God into the midst of the world, no longer constrained or confined behind veils and walls or on a mount somewhere. It is now readily made available to the watching world. And Jesus, the very presence of God incarnate it speaks to the world and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then in Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews looks back and he tells us exactly this. He says, we have confidence to enter the holy places. We have confidence to enter into the presence of God. Why? By the new and living way that Jesus has made available to us through his torn body. As the curtain was torn at the crucifixion, the body of Christ, when it was torn asunder, we were welcomed in. When he was forsaken, we were invited into fellowship. And it is a presence of God that is not fixed to one location, to one time, to one mountain, but it is here today. It is available to us today, and we engage it by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who has secured it. And we return to it again and again and again in prayer. Prayer is the most ordinary means that we have from anywhere, in any place, at any time to enter into the presence of God. 
Your pilgrimage into the presence of God is shorter than it was in David's age, and yet it feels harder than it's ever been. Why? Why? Because it is tempting to make our living in the tents of wickedness. It is tempting to have our desires dulled for lesser things. You know, I was talking with Pastor Robert and I, I was asking him, I said, you know, Robert, I'm preaching on Psalm 84 and, um, you know, uh, the thing that I keep thinking about is our hearts. It's almost like the temptations of the world are around us and our hearts, they almost like have hooks all over them still. And it's so easy for the temptations of the world to just grab one of those hooks and pull our attention, pull our worship, pull our love, pull our devotion, pull our imagination into it. And he was like, yeah, you know, it kind of sounds like you're describing a fishing lure. And I said, what, a fishing what? And he said, a fishing lure, you know, the thing that you throw out to catch fish. I'm not a fisherman. Um, uh, and he, uh, he, he said, well, why don't you take a look at this? So he gave this to me. And he said, be very careful because he had just sharpened the hooks, which is how kind of him, huh? Uh, to give me his freshly sharpened hooks, fishing lure, whatever this is. So I'm holding it gingerly because he told me to. So this is it. And uh, I was thinking about it and I was like, this is exactly what it's like for the believer in Christ Jesus as it was for a pilgrim in this day and age. There's a sense in which our hearts have hooks on them just waiting to be tethered and to be snagged. And there's a day coming when this will be wiped clean. In our glorification, there will no longer be any temptation towards wickedness. There will no longer be any temptation to the false comforts of this world. But until that day comes, we have to be mindful and watchful. Like Pastor Ben preached in the Lord's Prayer, we have to ask the Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why, Lord, lead us not into temptation? Because we're uniquely susceptible to getting hooked by it. We're uniquely in danger of being pulled in to lesser things. You know, there is one pastor who said the problem with our desires is not that they run too deep, but that they run too shallow. And I thought that was foolishness 10 years ago, 15 years ago when I heard him say it for the first time because I was young and full of zeal and full of energy. But as I grow tired and as I grow aged, maybe you can resonate with me, it feels often like we end up settling for worldly comforts, not because our desires are so deep, our expectations so great, but because we've accepted a kind of dull way of living that makes even the worthless seem worthwhile. And so many of us have grown accustomed to this placid, complacent way of life that absolutely we are more satisfied with 12 hours binging trivialities than we are with 12 minutes in God's word, not because our desires are deep, but because they are shallow. And it's easy for us to become a kind of people who just go, you know what? The Lord doesn't meet the thin desires of my life. And it's true because you were made for deeper things. You were made for a richer presence. I don't expect my daughter to love lobster like she loves skillets. She's a six-year-old. I want her to love Skittles. And it's okay that she loves Skittles, but lobster is better. I don't care what she says but she's not made for it yet. She's gonna get there, right? There is an invitation from God right now to move to the deeper things. And you're absolutely right to think that it will be more costly for you. 
You're absolutely right to think it's gonna make you more alien and more strange in this world. You're absolutely right to think that to move to the deep waters of delight in God is going to impinge on your schedule, on your money, on the way you talk to people, on the way you treat people, on the way you spend your time, on the way you use your house. Yes, absolutely. To tell you anything else would be an utter lie. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is inviting us to believe that if we get everything but God, we end up with nothing. Do we believe that? We've been talking about prayer. Before this, we were talking about the spiritual gifts. And I'm telling you, God is inviting us, exhorting us, encouraging us, challenging us, appealing to us in his word to be a presence-pursuing people. To say, we believe the presence of God is better than everything else. We believe the presence of God is better than the best school choice for my kid. We believe the presence of God is better than the next promotion. It's better than the next raise. It's better than the next vacation. It's better than having everything sorted. It's better than the remodel. It's better than the next house. It's better than the trip. It's better than the weekend. It's better than 10 hours of sleep. The presence of God is better. It is. It really is. And prayer is God's tool, his invitation that he gives to the church that we see in the format of this psalm to return over and over again. We no longer journey into the presence of God through paths trodden by pilgrims in the ancient world. We travel into the presence of God through the pathway of prayer. And you don't have to fly around the world to do it. You can live in Northridge or Greenwood Hills or Yale Park or Canyon Creek or Heights or North Dallas or Lake Highlands or Plano. You can live off Beltline or Spring Valley or Campbell or Arapahoe or Renner and you can meet with the presence of the living God and you can invite others to do the same. Are we a presence pursuing people? Well, even if we aren't, by God's grace in Jesus Christ, he's inviting us to become that. The psalmist is appealing to us. A, a, a sister who was meditating on this psalm this morning, she sent me something, and it's, it's, uh, I can't read it in its entirety now because I've gone way over what I was supposed to do here. Um, but there, was a, there was a line that it just kept saying, walk on, walk on, walk on. I know there is a weariness in the world that we live in, and I know that to walk in the ways of the Lord, to pursue his presence in prayer can feel like it's weariness on top of weariness. But there is a day coming, a day that some of us will meet sooner than later, a day that we ask the Lord to hasten in its approach. There is a day coming when our faith will be made sight and the trail and the path that lies behind rocky or smooth as God allots and allows, we will see it for what it was, which is a very short adventure in light of forever. And the weight of glory that waits for us outweighs the cost, the sacrifices of the road behind. I know that the life of our church, the health of our church, the fruitfulness of our church will never run deeper than the ministry of presence pursuing prayer within it. 
if you want to be a part of a movement of God, you begin by learning how to live with God. God is inviting us into that. The psalmist is inviting us into the presence of God by grace through faith in Jesus, inviting us to pray again and again and again, God, would you be with us? Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your mercy and grace in Christ. We thank you for the witness of the psalmist who has reminded us many times this summer of what you've invited us into. And I confess, my desires too often run shallow. They're so easily satisfied with lesser things. And I pray, God, you'd give me deeper desires still. I pray for the men and women of Mosaic Church, the boys and girls of Mosaic Church, that we would be people who pursue your presence, who genuinely believe that it is in the presence of God where we find the fullness of joy, that we would taste and see that you are good, that we would want to be with you and near you and in your midst. And God, we would receive your invitation to draw near in full assurance of faith because of what Jesus has done. We thank you, God, for this invitation. And we beg you that you would take it into the corners and the pockets of our heart that are so hard to give up. Please, Lord, for me, for us, would you do this? We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.